everyone and welcome to On The Spot Talk with Dee Malone. Today, I have the beautiful, the funny, <laughs> the sexy, <laughs> Vanessa Spencer, who is one half of Date Night with Chris and Vanessa. Welcome, Vanessa, you beautiful being you. Thank you. You're making me blush. Like, <laughs> you're literally making you know, me blush. So thank you. You know, I, I appreciate like, that. When I first um, came on to, to you guys live, and I think I was following Derek because Derek had come on and, and we were like, what, what are they doing? And I, and I saw and I was like, who's this? And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, I knew who Chris was, but I was like, bruh, she's gorgeous. <laughs> thank you it's so funny because like so many people say that to him and they know they say it like jokingly and and they're like how did you get her and he's like I'm funny and funny always wins I mean and I think my husband's like incredibly handsome I mean I think he is yeah yeah yeah, like it's so true funny wins like funny wins all the time um it's just it's disarming and it's 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 a sensibility that just kind of nothing truly like a smile and a laugh like can change your entire spirit like in some ways I think it can change your structural DNA right like just to shift you from one state to another of joy and like there's such euphoria when you laugh and you feel that laugh in your whole body right like you could laugh about that days or weeks or months or years later, right? Like that one laugh that sometimes just you go back to and you you could still feel your belly hurt from it. So yeah, it was um his charm and his laughter um, and you know, his jokes certainly I love won it. me over. And and laughter, they say laughter is the best medicine. So yeah, I'm I'm all for it. So now as this union <clears throat> Right. Because I'm going to I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and do some stuff. Okay, so you are from New York City. But Mm -hmm. what part in case like some people don't know what what part of New York are you from? Okay, so I was born in Yonkers at St. John's Riverside Hospital, which no longer exists. Uh, And then I lived in the Bronx on Castle Hill, 427 Castle Hill Avenue. Uh, our family had a three-family household, so I grew up, multi, you know, with multi generations. My great grandmother lived on the first floor. My grandmother's sister lived on the middle floor, and then my grandmother and my aunts and I lived on the top floor. So um, it started out as really like just living there while my dad was in law school. Um, turned out to be a spot where I I always sought respite and like and and sanctuary for like my whole life. So when my dad finished law school, my parents ended up buying a house up in Rockland County because my mom's company moved, moved out there and bought an office in Jersey, which was like just over the Bergen line border. So uh, she worked for United for like 37 years, United Airlines for 37 years. So they had like a main reservation office in Jersey, which brought us up to Rockland. And I hated Rockland. Like it just never sat in my spirit. So literally every Friday, my dad would drive me down to the Bronx and I would stay from Friday to like Monday morning or late, late, late Sunday night. And my parents could never get me out of my aunt's house. Like I would hang on, like literally like Spider-Man the walls as he would try and carry me down the stairs. And I'd be yelling, no, Titi, don't let them take me. Don't let them take me. And my great, my great grandmother would come out from downstairs and start yelling at everybody in Spanish. Like, leave her, leave her alone, leave her here with us. And my dad was like, I'm not going to let this kid come back here anymore if you guys don't stop (laughs) encouraging them. And for, I would say from the time we moved, my dad finished law school, we moved up to Rockland until I was probably about like 12, almost every weekend I was in the Bronx. Wow. Like that's just, it just was home. And the minute I graduated from high school, I was out. I never went back to Rockland. I mean, I can tell, I could tell you the last date I probably lived in Rockland. Oh, wow. Cause oh. I couldn't, 
I could not wait. And so when people ask me, like, where do you, where, where do you grow up? I grew up in the Bronx because that's really where I was. I, I stayed in Rockland. Right, you know, right. I stayed right. in the Rockland. Things, I, I was educated, like I was educated in Rockland, but like <laughs> my life really, like my family, like was the Bronx. You know, I was a city kid. The weekends we were going out, jumping on the train, jumping on the bus, like headed out. My dad worked in New York City. My mom worked in New York City because the office closed yeah. in Rockland. So like I was always in the city doing things like museums and the library and like and just the park and shit, just being out. So it's really hard for me to own living, having, (laughs) yeah, like it's crazy because my cousins are there. Like my dad's sister, she ended up buying like the child, uh, the childhood townhouse we, I grew up in and her, her kids stayed. And when I go back to New York and they're like, Oh, are you going to come visit? I was like, Oh, for, for the afternoon. And they were like, they were like, why? I was like, because Rockland is the place where everybody goes to die. Like nothing exists in Rockland. Like I can't even and and I feel terrible because I guess I obviously offended them, but I was just trying to explain to them so acutely (laughs) that (laughs) this um, ain't for me. (laughs) This ain't for me. It is not for me. It's not for me. So uh, when I left Rockland, I uh, left to go, I moved back to the Bronx and then I got accepted into NYU, went to NYU. Um, I lived downtown for a while. And then when I graduated, I moved back to the Bronx and lived there for a couple of years. And then um, I moved to Williamsburg. So I lived in Williamsburg for for a while. South one in Bedford above an incredible like Dominican restaurant. you know, with a great like Chino Latino on the corner where you can go grab your like your Chinese food and platanos yeah. at the same time. Like you get your fried rice and platanos <laughs> at the same time with a side of like boneless spare ribs. Oh and my gosh. That, that was it. I was like first stop off the L train because I was on Bedford, but then I would walk all the way across the you know, town. I lived right at the base of the Williamsburg Bridge or like three blocks from the bridge. Oh my it God. was great. That's amazing. Lower e- like the Lower East Side was right across the, sh- the, the bridge. Um, I like could walk to friends' houses that I knew from like growing up. And it was just great. I mean, there's nothing better than being a city kid. Like there really is nothing better than being a city being. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And that was I'm it. From that, I'm from, you know, Brooklyn. And so mm-hmm. I know all about how good, you know, being a, a city kid can be yep. so and Brooklyn's a great borough because like no, you, got, you got and they are making it so amazing right now like I it know, just looks so amazing right now but I it's, just cannot I cannot I keep saying I'm gonna and I have so many family members and friends and they're like hey when are you gonna come back and I'm like yeah I don't know <laughs> it's hard right it's hard yeah. when you leave it's hard it's tough too. but I mean I went back to Brooklyn last summer. No, two summers. Yeah. Actually, 2019, we spent a lot of time in Brooklyn. I had rented um, like Airbnb to play some um, <clears throat> Park Slope and had walked around a lot and taken my kids to back to Williamsburg. And it broke my heart and blew my mind how different Williamsburg is. And it really like messed me up because the south side which was you know Brooklyn was a neighborhood where like on one side of McCarran Park was very like Polish like which was the edge of Williamsburg Greenpoint that was a very like Polish you know working class um community and and really almost like in a time capsule nothing had changed and it was beautiful like it was really beautiful then you had like McCarran Park one side was um the other side of McCarran Park which was the north side of Williamsburg was kind of you know just like uh, a mishmash of different, you know, like white cultures, Irish, Italian, you know, um, Scottish, all of that, right? Like just kind of more white. And then you got to like the South side of Williamsburg and that whole thing was like Dominican, Puerto Rican, like up to the Williamsburg bridge, it was more like Dominican, a little bit of a mix of Puerto Rican. Then you cross over the Williamsburg bridge and that entire New York city housing was like all Puerto Rican. And then on the other side of that was Hasidic. So it was just yeah, like a beautiful, it. like <clears throat> beautiful menagerie of people. Yeah. And now I went back and was like, where did everybody that lived 
from South One to like South Five go because there were so many like yuppies and upwardly. It was crazy. Like my heart broke (laughs) because just the shift of what the ethos of the neighborhood felt like an Apple store, a Whole Foods, like things that you're would seemingly be excited that moved into a community. Yeah. Because you would think that it was like investment in a community, right. but this is an investment. This is straight like takeover. I, I Yeah. Like I want to say this is like the new edition of what colonization looks like. It, it's yeah. sad. It's crazy. It's really yeah. sad. Um, they're not coming over on the Nina and Pinta anymore. They're coming straight over on the L train from Manhattan, like, you know, Upper East Side, Upper West Side. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, this, it's crazy. It's not. It's different. It's very different. So yeah. in your in your time in between the Bronx and, and Rockland and then Williamsburg, <laughs> since we are where we're talking about nails in, in here, right? Do you remember your very first set of nails or your very first man? hundred percent. hundred percent. I got that. I'm going to tell you even where I got them. Seventh grade. Dead serious. Seventh grade in, uh, in Main, on Main Street in New City at Annie's Nails. And oh, wow. Annie's Nails, it was like, there weren't really a whole lot of nail places at the time. It was Annie's Nails popped up. There was City Nails further down on Main Street. And then typically before those two nail shops, like you were getting your nails done at the salon, wherever you got your hair done. Right. And it was just like a basic, it was a basic manicure. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even, it wasn't even anything. No. Then all of a sudden, like sometime circa, oh, there was one other nail nail spot that my mom originally went to off of like Maple Avenue down near the church, like just Mm -hmm. behind the church. Um, and that was where she got her first set. Wow. I remember her, her first getting it, her first set. It was the day of my dad's mother's second wedding, right? Oh, like, wow. I remember this red set of, like, beautiful red set of acrylics that my mom got. That's always the um, go-to, the red. Right? The red. And, and it was the 80s. And by the way, it was the 80s. So everybody was getting a red set of acrylics, right? Like, if you were getting nails, you were getting red. Because yes. back in the day, back in the day, like, it's so funny. I remember growing up with like so many um, rules, right? Like women of a certain age shouldn't have long hair. Yes. Everybody had to wear stockings and you couldn't wear red nail polish. If your nails were short, you should only wear like certain colors, maybe a light pink because it would look ridiculous with short nails and, and a dark color. Right. So there were like all these rules. Anyway, my first set of nails, cause those were the three nail spots in, in town. Annie's had become the place. Oh. And I had gone to Annie's to, uh, to get a set for my dad had finally passed. So he, my dad had passed the bar. And I forget wh- whether it was New York or New Jersey. I forget which one he got first. Because you have to like, get licensed in each state. And, and right. New York had reciprocity with nobody. So I think he had passed the Jersey bar a while ago and then he had passed another bar. So we were going to like the, the swearing in and my mom was like, Oh, you should get your nails done. And I was like, Oh, well, I don't really have any. She was like, no, you could get a set. And I was like, I could get a set. So I remember being <laughs> in seventh grade getting my first set and it was just before Christmas and the holidays. So I guess she was feeling generous and I got my first set. Oh, wow. And, and I think it lasted maybe maybe after like a little over a month, right? But I was a kid and I kind of played sports and I thought, put the set on and I kind of forgot, like, you really have to pay attention. You got to go get them done. So uh, maybe like a month later, I took them off and my mother was like, wait, I paid for this. And back in the day, like when you first got a set, they were pricey. Like you could spend up to like 150 bucks on a set because they were charging. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, one came off in gym and then then she was like, okay, never again. But then the following year for Christmas, I bought myself a set. And my mother was hot because I saved up my babysitting money. My mother was hot. She's like, so wait, you paid for a set of nails and you didn't get nobody a Christmas gift? And I was like, Mind you, mind you, I'm like 14. And I'm like, (laughs) what am I supposed to buy a Christmas present for? Like, I, oh my God. Like, 
Well, you squirreled away $150 for some nails. You could have gotten your, your brother, your dad or something like a something. And I was like, all right, that's a lot of pressure, but okay. You're right. I guess I messed up. <laughs> oh my God. And then, and then, uh, Going into freshman year of high school, my mom was like, okay, you got to get your brows like cleaned up and you should get your nails done for, for, for your first day of school. So I got another set. And eventually I quickly learned like my freshman year in high school, how to do a set because I would get them and then I would take them off like a month later because I was just active, right? Like I was just active. So they would fall off and I was like, who's that? I don't have enough money to like keep getting them filled. And why should I be paying somebody if I could do it myself? So, so you learned to do it yourself. I learned to do a set myself. I'm like, cause I watched when I was there, like when you're getting your nails done, what, what else do you got to do? We didn't have That's phones back exactly in the day to be on Instagram. Yeah. So I became resourceful. I was like, yes. you got to be resourceful. <laughs> and I learned how to do a set. I bought, you know, I buy my powder fill. I buy the jet, you know, the glue. Eventually wow. they had the fiberglass glue or yes. the fiberglass, like you would put the silk wrap on or you'd put the fiberglass. Oh no, yeah. no, to this day I could probably put on a set. But I love it. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I I love that. That that I will thank New City for at least introducing me to that. that so that's my long-winded that. version of my first. Yeah, you know, I, when I, I got my absolutely first. love that. I love that, and the fact that you were like, "No, I I gotta take matters into my own hands" is absolutely awesome. So awesome. So okay, now you you've come out of NYU, and you're this this fresh freshly graduated woman what was the thing that put you in the space of desiring or what sparked your desire to be a casting director like where did that come from so that came from my brother and I being latchkey kids so my my mom worked my dad worked my dad worked in the city and my mom worked in Rockley um and there were, we always had to let ourselves in after school. There was nobody to babysit. We, we couldn't have play dates. We couldn't really go out to play because my mother was like, I can't be out of the house if I'm not home or right. nobody could come over if she wasn't home. Right. Um, so we were home and we were like, turn on the TV and watch TV until we heard like the footsteps on the steps, like of her coming in. We shut off, grab out, <laughs> grab our books and pretend like we were doing homework. Right. Um, yes. And so we were latched kids or there'd be a snow day and she couldn't take off from work so it was just us at home and HBO had just hit the airwaves so we couldn't wait to like be home and watch movies we were just we were praying for a snow day or praying to miss the bus or praying to be sick so that we could just watch TV and um and that was really where my love of story came from so and I was always fascinated by like wow you know getting lost in this person being you know, the princess or this person being the detective, right? Or the doctor or like the, the, the woman that everybody was chasing after or, or the dad or the mom, whatever. And I just was like, oh my God, these people are real people. But you believe and you rock with them for an hour and 30 minutes, an hour and 40 minutes of them being this character. Um, and I had terrible dyslexia as a kid. So as much as I loved books, it was so hard to get through a book because I would always have to stop and finish. I'd get lost. I'd get frustrated. So TV became the place that I got lost in. So wow. I fell in love with film and TV then. And after I graduated NYU, um, I didn't intentionally go into casting. I kind of fell into casting. I graduated with a degree in education. I was teaching. Um, I started working for an, an, like a banking firm. Uh, I, actually, I should, they were more like of an analyst firm and they designed and developed financial software. And so I was working for them, teaching other companies, the software, how to use the software, how to run it. And my wow. teaching background came into play. 9-11 hit and then the company started to go through like major layoffs and I got laid off and I was like, all right, cool, great. I got a severance, small severance package. I was getting unemployment. I was like, cool. And I ran into a friend on the F train. I had just, I was tutoring this girl downtown. I'd gone mid, up to Midtown to see my aunt 
and hang out with some friends. I was getting on the F train about like 12 and I ran into a family friend and he was like, yo, he was like, Sizzle, what are you doing on the F train at 12 o'clock? I was like, I could ask you the same thing. You leave. He was like, <laughs> he's like, I'm coming from work, but you look like you're coming from the club. I was like, I'm in jeans and a sweater and sneakers. I'm not coming from the club. I'm, I am coming from hanging out. And he was, so we started talking and he said, yo, you should come help me at the office. He's like, it's about to be busy season. If you're not doing anything, you know, you should come. He was like, I can't pay you because, you know, it's slow right now. And I was like, ah, don't worry about it. I was getting unemployment. I said, I'll intern or volunteer. And that was it. Like from day one, I, you know, I walked in the office and he would, he was really good at like street casting and I knew names and faces. And I was really good at like office managing and, and, and doing, making appointments, talking to <clears throat> like ad agencies who were the ad agency running the commercial or producing the commercial. And I just had good people skills that way. Uh -huh. He had great like people skills on the street, but I had like the business side and we worked together for about a year and a half. And then um, I had come out to LA to visit my brother. He called me up and was like, yo, Jesse's movie, his brother got greenlit at MGM and I need an assistant. Do you want to work with me? And I was like, okay, cool. Um, he's like, you're gonna have to stay with your brother. So you got to run that by him. And he's like, all right, let me see how I could make this work. And the studio was bringing somebody else on to kind of oversee him because it was his first time doing like a big studio movie. And it just so happened that the woman they were bringing on, his brother had worked for a long time ago. And the long and the short was like, I had to go interview with her. I was late because I was new to LA trying to figure out how, how to Ooh. get there. She was like, I can't believe you're late for your interview. And I was like, I'm sorry. I was actually early, but this happened. She laughed and she was like, where are you from? And I was like, well, I was born in the Bronx. And she was like, huh? where? Like whereabouts? Because she was like, well, where in the Bronx were you born? I was like, oh, I was born on Castle, you know, I was born in Yonkers, but lived on Castle Hill. And she was like, I like you. And fortunately you said Bronx, because if you had said Brooklyn or Queens, it may not have worked out because she was a Bronx girl. She was like, oh, I'm a Bronx girl. Thank you that much. Wow. And she, and she grew up on the concourse. So like, we just had a lot in common and that's really how I ended up in casting. So I, I fell in love with casting as a kid, like the idea of it and mm -hmm. really fell into it and recognized just what it was. And how important it is to movie making uh, and TV making, you know, um, that's what I've been and I've been doing that ever since. So that's kind of my my journey along the way. And when I first started in casting, I definitely couldn't keep a set of nails because <laughs> uh, there's just so much like grunt work and the paperwork that the one thing I was grateful for that I finally managed to like really master was cutting my cuticle. Oh my God. Let me tell you, <laughs> like, you know, trimming, because trim, the cuticles were so bad from going through all the envelopes and pulling out the pictures and lists and paperwork. Like, so I was grateful that I had started way back in my grade, <laughs> like learned, teaching myself how to do a set. Back then it was not so cute. Like there were some days that I thought I would have to go get stitches. <laughs> right. And you and that, that is a skill, and I tell you that all the time that using those nippers is a skill. I have like I used to do Tip Tuesdays on my page, which I actually will bring back. But and I would tell people quit the snip if you don't know what you're doing. Leave those nippers alone because you push them back yourself push to be sick. You're gonna call you yourself to like, sick, and yes. that's not what you want. Because no, like that's that layer, that skin that's there, uh, it's there for protection. And so yeah. when you start to go too deep, now you look like you ate your fingers and, and it just yeah. looks crazy. And it's like, why no, it looks yourself. <laughs> there there were there were a few back in the day that were nuts. Cause like, you know, back then I didn't know any better to like go get a professional nipper. So I was buying like some Revlon thing and it wasn't even like as fine and delicate as, as it should have been for that area. Yes. You know, so as I got older, I learned the importance of spending money on a, um, on a real 
cuticle nipper. Yeah, because it ends up being, you know, where you're, you're spending so much more money on yeah. the, you know, keeping up, like tra- having to buy more and more and more when you could just yep. buy that one. And the oh one God. good thing about a lot of these, the, the really quality brands is that you can always mail them back to be sharpened. And yes. send them right back to you. So like Rubis does that. Yeah. Yep. Yes. No, it's very yes. true. Yes. It's very true. Like I think Rubis does it. And like, I think Tweezer Man does Tweezer it. Man absolutely does it. Cause you they, know, like it's one of my favorites. Yeah. It's, a, it's so, it's so key. Like certain things you just have to invest in. It's like buying a, a, a good pair of black pumps. Like there are certain, there's yes. a good pair of black pumps and a good black handbag. Like those are actual investments. Yes. You know, like those are actual investments. I know people would hear that and go, what is she talking about? But no, it is like, because if you got to buy five pairs of like a, of a basic pump, that was one pair of a really good pump. And if you get a good bottom put on it, or you get them taken care of every once in a while, a good polish and a condition and what have you, you could rock. Yeah. Like you could rock that pump for a really long time. So, you know, totally agree. Just a little, just stretching out that, that dollar across different little, you know, different (laughs) vertices. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So when you began, right, when, when, when this journey started with you, you know, uh, becoming and, 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 and being a casting director, was there any special, um, classes or was there anything special that you had to do in order to really become a, a casting director right was there something yeah it was a it was a school of hard knocks like it was really <laughs> the school of hard knocks let me tell you something no i'm ta- like let me most people don't realize like they think gla- like hollywood's glamorous yeah like above the line people are are when you get so for example, there's something called a call sheet, right? And on a call yeah. sheet, it breaks down every single person's on the list, yeah. name and job title in order of sort of importance mm-hmm. of who's a part of this production, yeah. right? So we call above the line, the talent. <clears throat> and yeah, like for the talent, it's pretty glamorous. You know, they get hair, they get makeup, they get wardrobe. Some, you know, some people like the key talent, they really get doted on. And yeah, there's a lot of sitting around for them on set and stuff. But you know, usually, especially when you're of a big name, you got a dope trailer, right? And your yeah. time is your time when you're mm-hmm. in on set. It could be boring, but you know, that's what you signed up for, right? right. For everybody else, literally for everybody else, it's a grind. It's a grind. And casting is no different. First of all, casting is like the thankless job. Nobody thinks about us. We're like, we're hired help. Oh my God, we're hired help. You're the one that gets the people in the, in the roles that they're in. And yep. Yep. We're the only one that the only award, the only award that we're recognized by are the Emmys. That's it. TV Emmys, that's it. Just TV that's Emmys so and, cool. and only and only in the creative. So we don't even get an award like on TV. We get an that's award. Casting director, which really should be a category. And it's not even a casting director. They don't even call it outstanding casting director. They call it outstanding casting. That's it. Like uh-huh. outstanding cast. Like for an outstanding so cast. Cool. And it, it, it's, it's, it's so insane. It's so insane. It's so insane. And it's not even on like Emmy night. Yeah, it's not even like on Emmy night. Uh, the Academy refuses to give us an award because. Wow, we're going to um, cut. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's nuts. The Academy refuses like the uh, motion picture Oscars, you know, the Academy, which puts on the Oscars. They have yet to succumb to giving casting directors an award because there are a lot of directors in the Academy that feel they're the person that picks the cast. Oh, I, and I could, I could kind of see that, but then there was not at all for, not at all because most times, most times a movie comes with one person attached to it. Right. And I've got to fill the gap for everybody else. A director might have people in mind, right? Right. 
But it, through conversations, either that person isn't really right or they're not available and therefore then I have to find somebody else. So it's never just a director, never just a director. Most times directors don't even know who people are, especially if they're not a huge star. Oh my they God. have no idea about like great character actors or great utility working actors. Like they have no idea. So it's, it's, wow. it's insulting. So when I say to you, like, how did, was there a class? Um, there might be like at SC, there might be at AFI or like New York Film Institute. There might be, I don't know. Cause I didn't come through or NYU. I didn't come through that. I literally learned from the school of hard knocks and it during my generation of aspiring casting directors or growing casting directors, we worked for people who were in the industry for decades and it was a much older, like quote unquote, older generation, uh-huh. um, predominantly women and predominantly women who also went to the school of hard knocks. So they weren't cutting anybody, any slack. They weren't leaving the door wide open. They were keeping that door about like this wide. Um, yeah. And like, you just had to grind and prove yourself. So when I started in casting, like I was working probably 12, 14 hours a day. Wow. And on the weekend, if I had to copy tape or dub tapes or go through auditions, like that's just what it was. It wasn't like, oh, it's Saturday. You have the day off. It was like, you just had to do it. Wow. Um, So yeah, it was definitely a grind. I would not change any of it. Would not change any of it because I have, I've been fortunate to work on really great projects with great studios, with great producers. um, And you know, and even when I've worked on smaller projects with newer producers or producers that have never done it before, I have had the knowledge base to be able to walk them through and kind of keep things on the rails or just like plow through what I have to do in order to get the project done because of my experience and because I was trained the way I was trained. Um, You know, and I, I worked for some pretty like cool people like Francine Mazer over at Sony, but Sheila Jaffe is who gave me my start, who I still work with till this day and consult with, who is like my other mother. She's like my kid's other grandmother. I mean, like we are a family and I'm so grateful to her because she taught me a lot. And when the time came where credit should be should have been shared she shared it with me she was like I want you to know I want to share credit with you and that is so hard because I know I won't I won't name her but this other woman that I worked for huge casting director even till this day she's a huge casting director like right now she's got two shows on tv three like two huge shows on HBO right now and She's got countless movies that she's done. She's probably done like three movies this season, um, this year. Um, she's had somebody working for her for 30 years and she will not make her a partner in the company and she will not share, give her the whole movie credit. Like wow. the woman has to share credit, but not even on the same card. It's like in a different, it, it's really interesting. It's just, she feels like she made her way and everybody else has to make their way. Yeah. And there's part of me that gets it. And there's another part of me that's like, yo, she's been with you 30 years and she has cast every single movie you have ever cast. And she, I know, cause I've been in that office. Like she has earned her place and her right. title. So it's interesting. It's like, it's, 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 it's an interesting world. It's always about a power grab out here though. I mean, to be honest with you, Hollywood is like this business is about a power grab. And sometimes there's still that old, that old mentality of there's not really enough room for everybody at the table. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Right. So it's it's unfortunate. So when, when you're, when you're casting, right. Cause are you, you're in charge of like when, when the person comes in and they table read, um, what is like a if you could share what is one of the funniest moments that you've had 
during like, let's say a table read or someone auditioning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Uh, oh God, there's so many. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, one, okay. So one funny moment was we were casting uh, a movie for Nora Ephron and this girl, we were watching tape because somebody was putting a, um, <clears throat> putting a few people in New York on tape for us. And this girl had come into audition. And one of the words in the, um, the audition was porpoise. And, you know, it's not a word that a lot of, most people, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I see that word in anything I read, right? Right. So um, she didn't know how it was felt. Like she probably would know to say it, she would know probably know how to say it, but just not ever read it from a page. So she's auditioning and she read the word as poor piece. Oh, and oh, like, she thought it was like French. I mean, she, she just oh somehow thought God. it was French. And we were like, we, we rewind that. And we were like, rewind that. And then we played it again. And we were like, no, rewind it again. Cause there's no way she could have said it. And like, she then then the second, like, after we stopped rewinding it, we started listening to the rest of the audition. She corrected herself and she was like, oh my gosh, no, I meant poor pie. As <gasps> if like the S was somehow, yeah, oh it, it was, it was not. Oh, and, fuck, fuck. Wow. And what was worse was that the person auditioning her didn't correct her okay. and let make her do it again. Because yeah. her audition was funny. Her audition was actually funny, but you sort of got taken out of it and lost because she had messed up the word. So yeah, that was one funny one. What else? Um, I mean, there were tons of funny ones when we were auditioning people for, for Entourage um, because they would come in and like try and oversell themselves as like Mark Wahlberg. And we were like, okay, we're not looking to cast Mark Wahlberg per se. Oh, one of my, fun, like, one of the best auditions was I had gone to New York. I'd gone to New York for Entourage to do a sweep. And mm. we were in and do a bunch of casting because I was like, oh, we'll find them in New York and people could come down from Boston. It'd be easier for them you know, instead of coming out to LA. And it was a day before I was leaving New York and I get a call from innovative artists and innovative at the time had a partner deal with Ford models and this girl, Jen, calls me up and is like, hey, I've got this guy. He'd be perfect. He's kind of like Channing. Uh, he's probably, um, he, he's kind of like Mark Wahlberg, um, only fresher. Oh. And I was like, okay. Yeah. She's like, he's a dance. She's like, he's a model, but he's also a dancer. Um, you know, he's very green, never really acted. And I was like, all right, look, can you come in today? And she's like, oh, is there any way you could come in in the morning? And I said, I've got a flight, but I'll come in super early. And, you know, and I'll put them on tape. I get into the office early. One of the girls who was sitting at the front desk called me at the office and she was like, uh, your audition's here. And holy smokes. She's like, I think he's perfect. And I was like, oh, that's great. She's like, and he's, well, this is, this is, uh, you know, like, girl telling me she's like, I need hot. And I was like, oh. okay, great. <laughs> so I step out of the office to meet him in the hallway and he, like turns the corner and he's like in a I guess we can't use that expression anymore can we what a wife beater a wife beater we can still use it we use uh, okay so he, he's like in a, he's in a wife beater and um <laughs> it's horrible right it's horrible it's horrible he's in a he's in like a Hanes tank top there we go he's in a Hanes tank top and these like baggy gray sweats with um and pair of air force ones and uh, like a, a just an open zip up and I was like this could be this is like where have you been I've been waiting for you for three oh, months because wow. I've been working on this project trying to figure it out comes in look at his picture and I was like oh Channing is his name Channing Tatum okay shut then up he, <laughs> then he auditions and I'm like oh he's actually good green like a little bit green and I'm like I'm doing it with him and I'm doing it over with him and I'm like okay you know do it this way and got him to a place where by like his third his third or fourth take it was super solid 
And now I'm just excited because I'm <laughs> saying to myself, oh my God, we found it. It's great. He's not trying to be Mark. He's literally just being him. The kid had like, he had a little bit of flavor to him by way of he wasn't, he wasn't pretending to be cool. He was actually just cool. He had a good body. He had like, he had a thing, right? Right. I put the tape in my purse, raced to the airport. I'm like calling Sheila to say, hey, I think we've got the guy. You know, the audition was great. We get back to LA. The next day I go to the producer's office and I'm like so excited about this guy. Sheila was excited because I finally showed her the tape. And there were like a couple of people from New York that we felt really confident about. I play this tape and I'm thinking they're going to be like, that's the dude, book him. And they were like, this guy, are you kidding me? He's so corny. He so wants to be Mark Wahlberg. And I'm like, what? I was like, this dude does not want to be Mark Wahlberg. I'm like, this is who Mark Wahlberg was when you found him and signed him. And they were like, yeah, 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 whatever. He's not that good. And Sheila and I are looking at them like, they're just jealous because this dude is going to outshine all of them, right? Like, oh. like he was going to take all of the thunder of any cutie that had ever come to set, right? Right. But let me, I mean, this is how God works though, right? This is how God works. Because we didn't book Channing. I was crushed. But then this dude comes out and does like step up, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and like kills it, kills it from step up, step up came to step up two. Ooh. Then there was something else. And then he just started taking off. So fast forward years later, <clears throat> we start working on ballers and somebody came in. We, uh, we, we had auditioned a bunch of people like, we were taking tape from all across the country and showing him. And he was like, no, not that guy, not this guy. It was this. And he's like, nobody would ever talk like and he, uh, he, He's not supposed to say it like that. He's supposed to say it like this. I said, let me tell you half the problem. Half the problem is, is that nobody I know, no ball basketball player, no football player I know, no major like pro athlete I know would ever say something like this. That's not how we speak. I'm going to tell you for a fact, I know a white boy wrote this <laughs> because Nobody I know would speak like, like that. that. Right. So he, he, I see his face, like his eyes going like this and his body language shrinking. Shriving, shriveling up. <laughs> right. Cut to, I didn't know he was a secret writer on the project because he hadn't told us. Uh, I was like, that's the dude for this role. Like, that's the dude for this role. And he was like, it's not. And I said, okay, let me just give you one example. You know who was the dude for the role of Vince in Entourage? Channing Tatum. And remember what you told me about him? Oh. He's, he's, he was a bad actor. I said, he might not be Denzel Washington or Robert Redford. I said, but he's a good actor. And look at him. Let me just tell you Magic Mike. The kid made it for $7 million and has now made like 50 from it. So whatever. Trust me. Don't trust me. I don't really care. So that was probably, that, that was probably the, like, how, that, that's the whole scope of how auditions can go. Just one day, it takes one audition and something changes or a project that could have been totally different and probably a little bit cooler with Had We Cash Channing turned out to be like, cool, like, all right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. That one no, though, that one no catapulted him into a whole bunch of yeses. Yeah. Uh, thousand percent because that's how god works god was like you're not meant to work for these people like yeah, you've got yeah, other yeah. things to do mm -hmm. yeah no it's crazy because not it's everyone crazy. is going to see see what is supposed to be seen in you it's just it's exactly. just not possible wow exactly so so what would you say would be a gem that you would want to share with any other woman, man that decides that, hey, I would like to be a casting director? I would say you have to love the art of, of telling story. Like you just have to love the art of telling story because you have to be able to read the story on paper 
and then start to be like visualize people that exist, right? That you've seen in other movies and shows. Um, you, you have to start being able to see them as possibly taking on who these people are on paper and, and, and envisioning how they could bring something from the work they've already done. Or maybe you know a little bit about their actual life story and envision them as these particular characters. Um, and you got to do it for the love of art, not for the idea that you're going to be rich mm. or that you're going to be famous. Because <laughs> let me just say this. Um, I know of, cast, know of casting directors that have made live a really nice life like a really nice life. There are a couple of big studio direct, like um, Denise Chamion, she's made great money. She's done all of like Michael Bay stuff for a minute. I think she did Steven Spielberg too. Um, you know, Francine Maisler is always working. She did all the Spider-Mans. She's done, I mean, she's done doing Winning Time on HBO now. I mean, like she just, she does all of Adam McKay's movies now. I mean, she did all of um, Jay Roach's movies. Jay Roach did all of, like the Meet the Fockers. She does, um, I mean, you know, and here's the thing about casting directors. When you start working with a particular director or producer, they typically come back to the well because you develop the sort of like shorthand of, uh, uh, you know, writing to each other. You develop the shorthand of language between each other. Like you speak your own language. Mm -hmm. You start to know their quirks. You start to know their tastes. Um, you know their personality and how to present people to them. So sometimes you got to like mind trick them into believing it was their idea kind of thing, right? <laughs> um, so like you could get the yes for the person that really deserves the job. Right. So, um, you know, you got to do it because this is what you love. It's hard work. It's a grind working for studios. Some days you just see yourself like taking everybody out. Like it's a game of GTA, you know, like, oh, wow. You just want to, you know, like you just want to go in and light it up because like, <laughs> you just can't understand. Like you're like, I don't, I don't get, I don't get it. I don't get how you're like, you don't see it or you're just so narrow minded. It's crazy. Like some days you want to just, burn the whole place down but um but the yeah it's that but yeah you gotta just love it you just have to love it because it's not a job where people are going to say to you great job mm. they're just not unless you are a Francine Maisler or a Sheila Jaffe or or somebody knows who you are right because Wow. You could be standing next to Sheila in Starbucks and you'd have no idea who she is you could be standing next to Vicki Thomas or Francine Maisler, and you'd not know who they are because you never see them on TV or in interviews or in the trades. Like, it's just not really a, a job that gets any type of glamour. Right. Wow. And we certainly don't get thanks when anybody wins an Oscar or an Emmy know, or a Golden Globe. So Nobody ever says <laughs> that. Is so bad. Yep. That is so you know, bad. That's so bad. I think that's so terrible. Especially on movies, especially on movies, you know, um, for, for supporting characters. Like, because oftentimes a movie comes with an, a star attached. Yeah. So if like a supporting character ends up winning, they should actually thank the casting director because it was like the casting director that, that brought them in, pitched them the whole thing. Oh, wow. So anyway, wow. that would be my advice. That's good advice, too, because, I mean, in order to do something well, there has to be a love for it. There has to be a passion, you know, because if not, you stop midway mm -hmm. or whenever something gets really, really tough, you stop and you're like, forget it. Uh, that, yep. That's it. I'm done. I don't want to know more parts of this and I've had enough. Um, so as a mompreneur, which is, you know, like, right, you have mm -hmm. your own. Thing going on and uh also have your you know your your joint venture with your husband when do you find the time to relax unwind and like what is your what's your pamper routine like oh, a pamper routine so um you know um I am on the go a lot 
I'm constantly multitasking. Doesn't mean I'm doing everything like great. Uh, some things I'm doing, uh, some things I'm doing great. Some things I'm, I'm solid on other things. I'm like a little like loose on. Um, Cause there's just so much time during the day, but whenever it comes to my kids or like family stuff, everything else is just going to be good, but I'm always going to try and be great for that. Mm-hmm. Um, like showing up for them is, is paramount. I think because like my parents just cause of work and stuff weren't able to always show up for us. So it's, mm. you know, you have that like hyper focus. Now I've switched yeah. to like being able to show up for everything. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, I make time. Like I, I was working in and out of offices before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, probably about the end of 2019, I started working a lot from home. Um, so I was already used to being home. Um, and now I've just stayed working from home. Sometimes I go to like a co-work, a co-work space, uh, called Blackbird that's owned by my friend Bridget. Um, it's like, um, a co-working space for women of color and allies. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll go work out of there, but that's rare. Um, so during the day when they're gone, like in the morning I come back, I'll walk the dog or I'll sit down, I'll like straighten out the house a little bit. And then I'll sit down and have my coffee. I'll start going through my emails. Yes, I'll usually troll through IG in the morning, see what news is happening or who I got to respond to or whatever, right. or what I, what I may have to post. Um, and like an hour and a half later, I'll jump into work or I'll go get ready. Uh, sometimes I'll watch a show because I'm doing research for something I'm writing or something we're going to maybe consider producing or developing. Um, so I find time for myself, but like my, my, my real like self care is dipping off like once a month for a facial. Like I really try and get a facial once a month. I, I, that has become my thing. Like I love my skincare routine that I do at home, but that is really where I just go and unplug and my guilty sort of pleasure and, and treat for myself. You know, I'll go get my nails done every other week. Um, that was my next question. But, yeah, no, I got my nails done every other week. You know, right now it's a little simple, but you know, next week I'm like, oh, I might do this design. Um, but yeah, I definitely, because for me, I can't, Chris loves to golf, right? That dude could spend every day, day on the golf course. Like, I think that he's probably got money hidden somewhere or like, maybe he really comes from a super wealthy family and has been lying to me all these years. I'm like, dude, you, you play golf. Like it's your job. You know, that the PGA we're in is like not the professional golf association, but like producers guild of America. You do get that. Right. Or like, are there checks that I'm missing in the mailbox from some golf company or something? Like, let me know, put, put me on to what I'm missing. Right. (laughs) <laughs> so that's his thing. So I don't really feel guilty when I go get my nails done or when I go like get a blowout or like I go get my facial because he, he definitely takes care of him and I got to take care of me because it, you know, because you, you know, and, to be optimal, you have to do that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I grew up with a bunch of aunts and, and my grandmother's and even my mother who were always about taking care of themselves or like when I say taking care of themselves, like putting mm-hmm. themselves together. Right. Yeah, so there's like a, there, there's a little bit uh, of the two things. I don't think that my mother, no, I don't think, I know my mother and her mother and her mother's sisters and aunts and mother didn't grow up in a time where taking care of yourself meant mental health or even right. like maybe even right. overall physical health, unless they were sick. So like my concept of taking care of oneself was external. So even with the, the desire to, to come back um, to IG, outside of that, what do you feel is next? Not just for Chris and Vanessa, but What's next for Vanessa, right? Do you like, is, is having your own agency a thing? Uh, is that already in place? Cause I saw something, but I was like, I'm not really sure if that's really in place, but is that something that you long-term would look forward to doing? Um, I, you know, I don't, I used like, I have my own sort of like casting shingle where 
I still cast projects. Now I'm producing projects. Um, you know, yeah, like I'm always going to be, I'm always going to be a casting director. Chris is like, stop telling people you're a casting director. You're not, you're really just like, you're a producer. And I'm like, yeah, I love producing mm -hmm. and I love creating and developing. And I'm really good at that too. Mm -hmm. um, but and that's not to toot my own horn. Like I, I feel like I'm really good at it and I've been told I'm good at it. And I think it's because I love starting something and seeing it grow because I always see like it's full potential. Uh -huh. um, so producing is incredibly rewarding, but casting will always be my, my passion. Awesome. It's how I started in this business. And, you know, I will always have some sort of toe in that pond, so to speak. Um, cause it, it, it's just, it's such a beautiful art and, you know, I, I will always ride for casting. <laughs> like I said, I don't think it gets the credit it deserves yeah. for being such an important part of what storytelling is. Yeah. So, wow. so yeah. Well, I love it. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. This has been such a great conversation. You are so much fun. And I cannot wait to get to LA to hang out with you. I cannot wait for you to get to Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So it, where where can we find you and, you know, uh, Chris and Vanessa's okay. date night? So you can find Chris and Vanessa. Uh, you can find date night with Chris and Vanessa. Yeah, that's say. it. That was it. Y'all sorry. Uh, <laughs> date night. That's okay. No, no, no. Date night with Chris and Vanessa. You can find us on Sirius XM, Channel 96, Laugh Out Loud Radio on Friday nights, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time, 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific, and Saturdays at noon and Sundays, I think, at 2 or, or 3. So we rerun um, every week. It's a new guest. Um, as a matter of fact, this week, we, if this, if this airs this week, where we've got on, or do you want me to keep it evergreen? No, say, say it. Oh, so this week we've got, uh, this Friday, we have, uh, Monique Kelly, who is a dating expert. Love she it. came on, she's coming on. Like it, I'm so excited to talk to her because I've asked so many questions that I believe we'll probably end up doing, um, a second episode because like my list of questions is so long i have about i literally have about hold on here i already have like i've got a list <laughs> of questions front and back at least three cards full so like there's Whoa. just so much to ask her i'm so curious about it especially yeah. like dating post pandemic i'm dying to oh, figure out what that I is yeah that one so <laughs> So send me some questions if you got questions. Yeah. Um, and anybody can DM me. You can find me on Instagram at Vanessa Spencer, uh, V Spencer, BX22, because uh, that's the bus I took all the time to, to the train. <laughs> that was my bus to the train. Um, and I'm no longer on Twitter. Um, well, that's a long story. Yeah, I'm no longer on Twitter because I got suspended. Awesome. Um, I, I asked a rhetorical question on somebody's post that was referring to Marjorie Taylor Greene. I was quoting inciting history and Twitter thought somehow I was inciting violence because I asked, I asked the rhetorical question. No, I made the rhetorical statement. It wasn't even like I asked a question. I made the rhetorical statement of saying, I wonder if she'd feel that way if she had been sick by a police dog dragged by the back of a truck or, um, yeah. Or water hose. Yeah, I wonder if she would vote for voting rights then, you right. know? Um, so they were like, that's inciting violence. Somebody reported me and I tried to appeal it a bunch of times, but they were like, we're permanently banning you. So I was like, whatever, fuck Twitter. Oh, um, snap. Yeah, so anyway, so I'm not on Twitter, but I am on IG and you can also find me on IG um, at date night with Chris and Vanessa. So underscore Chris and Vanessa. So, um, so that's it. Awesome song. You thank you so much. Thank you, thank so you. much. Thank you. Thank you for so letting much. me into your home and, and into Absolutely. your life. I truly appreciate it. You guys. I appreciate you. You know, I appreciate you because literally every week I would look to see what you were going to say in the comments or like to exchange with me after and, and DM, um, you know, like it feels like it feels like family. Like you, you were in our home at like such a vulnerable time for everybody right like and 
I really feel like we did the pandemic together. So I'm grateful for you. So thank you. You know, thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited. Yes. Um, I, I cannot appreciate wait. It. I cannot wait. You guys, we have had so much fun. And and when, by we, I mean, we as in Vanessa and myself, but definitely I hope that you all had fun and you have loved on Vanessa because she's she's worth it and she's so sassy and fun and we love it so join me next time on on the spot talk live with d malone because i got so many more guests that you guys have to listen to so you guys i know you know what i'm gonna say but for those who don't here we go be blessed but more importantly be a blessing i love y'all see y'all later